0: What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Lockdown Blazers, part of the On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. It's an all-mailbag edition Locked Lockdown Blazers. I solicited questions on Twitter. You submitted them. Now I'm going to answer them. Let's get to it. First, a little bit of explanation. I submitted these questions early on Monday morning, giving people about basically a full day to ask me questions. Almost everyone asked me questions before the Blazers played the Golden State Warriors on Monday evening in San Francisco, except for my man Sean Potter, at Sean L. Potter on Twitter, who came in right after the Blazer game and asked simply, how did the Blazers lose to this Warriors team? Sean, I'm glad you set me up for this one. That's just fantastic work. Great teamwork by you, Sean. Uh, the Blazers lost this game to the Warriors, who started Eric Pascal, Glenn Robinson III, Willie Colleystein, Kai Bowman, and Jordan Poole, and rounded out the rotation with Omari Spellman, Marquise Chris, Alec Burks, and Damian Lee. That's a real NBA team that just beat the Blazers uh, because the Blazers didn't play any defense. CJ McCollum went 6-for-16. Six Hassan Whiteside is allergic to boxing out. And Anthony Tolliver is not good. Also, Rodney Hood played poorly. That's about it. Warriors played harder than them, basically from the opening tip. Blazers never made the Warriors even a little bit uncomfortable on defense, and Golden State lit them up for 127. The Blazers don't, it's a bad, it's a bad time, 10 minutes after the game ended to hit record on a podcast about the Blazers, but we're doing it anyways. That's how they lost, Sean. We're gonna keep it moving. Next question comes from... Paint and PDX, at Payton PDX on Twitter, who asks, with the caveat that it's super, super early to judge, was extending the entire core Dame CJ Stotts-Olshay for so many years premature, i.e., should the Blazers have been more wait and see? Uh, hard to be wait and see on Stotts. He needed the contract. He needed the years in order to come back and do the job. Uh, Olshay was the architect when they made the Western Conference Finals. He was a lock. Even if they don't extend him, he's, he was, he was already had multiple seasons on the register. So maybe just giving him an, the extra years they did, maybe it was, you could say it was premature. Sure. Dame was a no brainer. You don't lowball your franchise player. He's one of the 10 best players in the league. Uh, the end of that contract is going to be a real bummer for the Blazers, probably giving him $55 million when he's 35 years old. But you just, uh, what are you going to do? You, that you kind of, they were, they just came to a point. With the way it all works, he was eligible for the Supermax, and they went ahead and did it. The one that I think they might have been a little early to judge was CJ. I think uh, they didn't need to rush. They could still have given him the exact same contract in a couple seasons. Uh Maybe you do it just for the good juju, so you know that you treat guys well. But for me, the other three... uh there was no reason to wait and see. You kind of knew what you had. Uh, maybe Neil didn't have a great summer, but he's pretty good at his job. Stotts is one of the best coaches in the league. game is one of the best players in the league. CJ would be the one that I'd say there's questions about, but I don't know if it's going it, to... They might have ended up paying CJ anyways just because it's easier for a team like the Blazers to pay someone already on the roster than to try to give that money to a free agent. So you might be right, but I don't think it was a drastic mistake. Next question comes from Brendan O'Donnell, at Brendan O'Donnell on Twitter. Brendan asks, You mentioned the return of Dante Cunningham. Brendan, thanks for listening to my previous podcast, Life Without Zach Collins. That came out on Monday morning, where I talks about what the Blazers might do without Zach Collins. But Brendan notes, you mentioned the potential return of Dante Cunningham. What other former Blazers do you think would slot well into this roster? Both individually and for the team, uh, Dante Cunningham, in theory, I guess would. He's not much of an upgrade over what they currently have now. Uh, the big ones for me when I think about this, and a couple other people ask similar questions. Uh, Alfru Camino would would slot in pretty well. They could really use someone who could rebound and play defense and play power forward. I don't. It, right now, Anthony Tolliver is make is not making his shots. I do not know what he offers outside of that. I guess he draws charges and like is in the right place in the right time. But Al Furukamino could probably do that. And the thing that Tolliver is supposedly better than him at, he hasn't really showed up with. (laughs) The other obvious one is uh, LaMarcus Aldridge. They could really use an all-star power forward who could also play small ball five. Not even small ball, just straight up center. I think they miss him a bunch too. We'll keep it moving. The next question is from Edmund Dantes at Roger24492. Edmund, update that Twitter handle, man. That is, you've got some of the wilds going on there. But Edmund asks Besides Chief and Mo, how bad did the Blazers miss Leonard, as in Myers Leonard, I would assume? who so he's talking about here. Uh, I think they miss Myers. I think he could help. He sets better screens than Hassan Whiteside does. Uh, he understands Stotts' system. He can shoot. That would help. Uh, I don't really think they need a five. Like, I think a lot of people are obsessed with just, like, any big man. But, like, assuming that the move that they make has Hassan Whiteside, or when it should they make a move, assuming Hassan Whiteside is still on the team, you kind of need someone who can play next to him, not necessarily entirely in place of him. The best version of the Blazers probably has to include Hassan Whiteside. Um, that, you know, that might be getting a little bit murky, but I think that just has to be the case. Uh, Myers Leonard could absolutely help. I'm not sure that he would be a massive, massive upgrade, but there's no doubt about it. He would help. But like I said in the previous question, if I'm looking at former Blazers who could help this team, it's probably, um, Marcus Aldridge because he's really good. Okay. Next one comes from Doctor Funkenstein at Doctor Funk says on Twitter. Doctor Funkenstein asks a bunch of questions. I think I'm going to get to all of them. I'm definitely going to get to this one. We'll start here. Doctor Funkenstein wants to know. I know there's no right or wrong answer, but through six games, now seven. Like I said, I asked for these in the morning. Through six games, do you think the Blazers would have been better off running it back this year, or try to re-sign whatever combo of Cantor, Aminu, Seth Curry, Keith Myers, and Mo versus this year's reshuffled roster? you can see i kind of organized these about people looking looking at uh the off season and, and worrying about bringing back old faces that's what happens when things go south early as you remember the past fondly um yeah dr funk i think th- i don't know if better off but i i kind of thought the blazers were going to prioritize bringing back Ennis Cantor and Al-Farouk minu going into the summer I know that the Blazers didn't think they'd be able to afford Rodney Hood, and when they were able to afford Rodney Hood, that kind of changed their thinking fairly drastically and and pretty quickly. On the opening day, the opening hours of free agency, uh, the way the NBA works, you would assume that they probably knew before you know the clock struck 3 p.m. or whatever it is on on the opening day of free agency, but but they kind of had to make make moves quickly because deals happen very fast once that window opens, and when and when Rodney was able to sign on the dotted line. I think it spelled the end for Aminu, who signed a, you know, nine plus million dollar deal, made about fifty percent more money than Rodney Hood. Uh Seth Curry was never coming back. I don't think he really loved um playing behind Damon CJ. He wanted a place where he could get more shots. Cantor, I guess, wanted a different opportunity. Um he you know, he, he chose not to, to sign here on the to basically take Rodney Hood's money. Uh would they have been better off keeping Myers and Mo instead of us on Whiteside? Certainly kind of feels that way right now for for me. Um they would have still been expiring contracts. I know that a lot of people didn't like Myers Leonard, and I wasn't one of those people who thought that Myers Leonard was like really good and underused and, and, and all those things. Um but for kind of the level of production and defense that Hassan Whiteside gives you, I'm pretty sure Myers Leonard could have provided something similar, although it would have felt very different. And Mo Harkless is just good. He's just like a good solid wing uh probably not a elite starter by any means but a good solid wing so yeah i think maybe they would be a little bit in a little bit better situation now just because they're really really thin at power forward without zach collins but they wanted to play collins they stacked the roster in order to make sure zach collins played 30 minutes a night and they did not really offer him much reasonable backup they signed 39 year old Pal Gasol. They 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 reshuffled this team to be a little bit better on offense, knowing probably that it would take a short term step back on defense and hoping that Whiteside could clean up for it. So far, seven games in, Dr. Funk, the defense sucks, and the offense isn't good enough to bail them out. But there's 75 games left, a long way to go. I don't want to be super negative right now. The Blazers stink. There's a chance. That in the future, they won't stink. That's just the nature of the NBA. When we get back, I want to answer your questions about where the Blazers are in the playoff race without Zach Collins. What Portland could do with the 15th roster spot and potential trades. But before we go there, I want to tell you guys about Manscaped. Manscaped is number one in men's below the bell grooming. And you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code LOCKEDON at manscaped.com. All right, so we talked about all the Blazers from all the players from Blazers past who aren't on the team and maybe could have helped. Now let's talk about the Blazers future. We're still doing all mailbag everything here. And Lil Billy Hoyle at Jack Heath on Twitter asks, Does losing Collins cost the team a top four finish in the West playoffs? Ooh, little Billy Hoyle. I think losing Zach Collins as it stands today could potentially cost the Blazers a chance in the playoffs altogether. There are 10 teams in the West who can make the playoffs. 10 might be a little bit generous, because I'm going to include the Phoenix Suns, who have started hot 5-2 and two through the first their first seven games. 10 teams who can make the playoffs in the West. Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, Rockets, Jazz, Spurs, Mavericks, T-Wolves, Blazers, Suns. That's 10. If the Blazers are a little bit bad, like they look right now, we're not talking about home court advantage. We're talking about scraping to get into that 8th spot because the West is tough. So yeah, I think um, maybe slightly lower your sights. Um, I don't think right now, as currently constructed without the front line help that they need, that this team can be talking about home court advantage in the playoffs. They got to get there first. This next one comes from Parshall at Jack Parshall on Twitter, and they ask, I "Have injuries forced the Blazers to use the 15th roster spot?" Parshall, I'm going to point you to the episode I posted Monday titled "Life After Zach Collins," where I went deep, 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 deep on what the Blazers could do. With the 15th roster spot, I spent probably 15 to 20 minutes discussing the sort of what life would be like without Zach Collins and how the Blazers could address their depleted front line. But I think, uh I speculated in that podcast that the Blazers probably would not sign someone off the street, certainly not right away. Just because uh there are really limited options for unemployed NBA players that could help them immediately and also the tax implications for the team with the largest payroll in the NBA. Uh, Jason Quick of The Athletic reported, he didn't exactly cite uh, unnamed sources, but the implication from the tweet was that um, this was informed knowledge, he's someone who knows things, was that the Blazers are unlikely to sign someone and use that 15th roster spot for exactly those reasons. Not a lot of help and is expensive. So I think they will have to address this, their, their hole at power forward, their frontline issue at some point. But I don't think it's going to happen until at least December 15th when you can start trading players who are signed in the offseason. I think that's when, when the Blazers will start to really aggressively figure out what to do with the roster. This next question comes from Eric Heibert. Eric, if I botched your last name, I apologize. Could be Hebert. Could be Hibbert. But Eric asks, who will the Blazers trade to get a power forward if they do make a trade later this season? I think this is the more interesting thing to think about. Is not necessarily trade targets, because we all know Kevin Love exists, but how the, tra- the Blazers would build a trade. What is their package? It is some combination of expiring Hassan Whiteside. Although that seems like a... Whiteside, if they're trading him as an expiring contract, that's a really specific deal and has to be a team like the Cavs who maybe don't have interest in being really good right now. I think there's, at least as we stand today, Whiteside's trade value is low enough that you're not getting back uh, necessarily just a straight-up starting-level player for what he brings. But it could also be Kent Bazemore, another expiring player. I don't think the Blazers would even consider trading Anthony Simons. I know that that is a trade chip. I've had a couple people tweet at me and ask me, Uh, potential trades with simons in there i don't think you should consider him available he's off the market along with damon cj completely off the market i think conceivably they would trade nazir little although i think that would they would be getting ahead of themselves so their young player that they would dangle in a trade would be gary trent jr who we just haven't seen a lot of hard for me to imagine the team would trade zach collins or that another team would be interested in acquiring him considering his injury so it's really just some combination of Kent Bazemore's expiring deal Rodney Hood's relatively cheap contract and player option uh Hassan Whiteside's expiring deal and then sweetener on the edges and first round picks so you're talking about a team that would want to take on big expiring money and Kent Bazemore's nearly 20 million dollar salary son whiteside's over 25 million dollar salary and a couple first round picks that suddenly instead of looking like they'd be at the very end of the first round could be in that pick 18 to 20 range even lower so we'll see i think that eric is what is who or what the blazers might trade if they're trying to get a powerful dr funkenstein back at it at dr funk asks What could a trade for Draymond Green look like for the Trailblazers? And would that ultimately be a good idea, taking into account how much they'd likely have to give up? Yeah, I think that's the big question for Draymond Green. What would it look like? It probably looks like sort of Kent Bazemore, multiple first-round picks, Gary Trent Jr., and like hopefully not one of the young, you know, maybe Nazir Little, maybe throw that in there. It kind of depends on what the Warriors want to do if the Warriors just kind of sit this one out, they're going to be really good again next year if they're healthy, just by virtue of Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Steph Curry. Like, that trio is going to be very good, and then you sort of add in parts around um, the outside. Obviously, Eric Pascal just had 36 on the Blazers. He's fantastic. Maybe the Blazers trade for him. So I, I think the Draymond Green deal could be expensive for the Blazers uh trading him to a western conference power or another western conference team the, War- the Warriors would probably want a lot back in terms of trade compensation they might even uh want Anthony Simons no matter what uh, in- as part of the trade compensation i think depending on what it costs it would be a good idea i think the core of Dame CJ Draymond and Yusuf Nurkic is a core that could win the win the title assuming that Nurkic comes back and is fully healthy next season. It's a risky one, but he's exactly the type of player that could unlock this team. So, are you willing to give up multiple firsts to that team? Are you willing to give up someone like Anthony Simons to that team? Or Zach Collins to that team? uh, And roll the dice on Draymond? And roll the dice on probably paying Draymond a bunch of money? We'll see. Alright, one more before we go to the third segment. Logan Giles at Logan Giles on Twitter asks what is the approximate ratio of super mario slick sexy plays to boneheaded turnovers you guys uh if you're regular listeners you know that i uh i'm into stats i think statistics help us learn more about the game i think they can provide a uh, great insight into what you see on the court you say man he's been really good and then maybe the numbers don't back it up or you say man he's been terrible tonight and then you uh, you know look at somebody's uh, sort of advanced stats over the last month or so, and say, You know what he has actually been way better than I than it feels like They can help you learn things so when i when I saw this question, I nearly pulled my calculator out and started um, calculating the ratio, and uh the number I got to, Logan is two point one seven two point one seven bone headed turnovers for every slick, sexy play by Mario Ha. That's just math. Numbers don't lie. When we get back in the third segment, I want to answer your questions about Pau Gasol's health. What is the level of concern we should have about the Blazers? Nazir Little and a couple other odds and ends. Stick with me. All right, still locked on Blazers. Still Mike Richmond. Still pass for his point guard. And we're still doing all mailbag everything. It's so like we do every every week at this time, I ask for questions on Mailbag Monday, post the podcast Tuesday mornings, unless things get in the way. Hopefully things won't get in the way. We've been pretty consistent with this. And we're going to try to stick with it. If you want to get your question answered on the podcast, follow me on Twitter at Mike G. Rich. You can either just shoot me a question anytime during the week or anytime you just have a question on your mind and I'll answer it on Tuesday's podcast or I solicit questions on Monday mornings and you can just wait for that Twitter question then to respond. So let's close out the question. We'll close out the episode with your questions, more of them. And this next one comes from Kevin Joyce at KJ Ironman One on Twitter. And Kevin Joyce asks, "Jason Quick just said Blazers will probably wait for Gasol rather than pick someone else up. I alluded to this exact tweet earlier in the podcast. How long are we looking for Gasol to get back? How long are we looking for Gasol to get back on the court? Understand that there's no timeline, but where is he now? Uh I do not travel with the team. I." Cover the home games. I'm in the locker room around them when they're in Portland. But I'm not on the road. And the honest truth about that is that there, you see more on the road. The Blazers' access rules are a little bit different on the road. Um, you just, the, the traveling press is much smaller. So the, um, what you're able to see is just very different. So what I've seen when Pau Gasol is here and warming up for games, is him going through kind of light, what I'll call light shooting. Now, I haven't spent a bunch of time around him. I am not sure he's someone who ramps up and gets super sweaty before games. So maybe while I am calling it light shooting, he's just one of those dudes who gets some shots up before the game, gets his heart rate going, and goes back to the locker room and and is ready to ride. But Jason Quick, who is on the road, Wrote a story in The Athletic, this is why you should pay for journalism. You would know this answer without asking me, Kevin. That uh Powell was ramping up a little bit more on the last road trip. In Oklahoma City, he was running cross-court on a drill from three-point line to three-point line and and around the arc of the three-point line and, and just being a little more active than he had been. Gasol had what he called like a minor setback. He, he thought he was closer in training camp. He kind of ramped it up and, and the foot hurt him more. He wants to come back and stay back. That's one of his big things. He doesn't want to come into the, come into the team, get hurt and then miss some time and, and be in and out of the lineup. He wants to come back and be ready to play for the rest of the season. So I think he's getting closer. But if I had to guess just based on what I have seen and now what I've read from Jason Quick, I'd say we're still at least a week away from Powell. At least minimum. Minimum November 11th and likely after that. Look for him around Thanksgiving. Next question comes from JB at Northwest Jeff. Northwest Jeff asks, am I wrong to be mildly concerned about the 3-3 three and three record? If so, at what point in the season does a 500 record concern you? And then, two-part question, totally unrelated. Also, who's the greatest pass first point guard in Blazer history? Let's go with that one first, Jeff, because I think your second question is the real meat of this podcast in a way. The greatest past first point guard in Blazer history, the immediate name that jumped out to me when you asked this question was Rod Strickland. I think Rod Strickland is one of the underrated Blazer point guards uh, of all time. He's certainly one of the underrated Blazer point guards. I'm not going to go too far with that. Uh, you know, he averaged in 92-93, seven assists a game, in 93-94, nine assists a game. Pushed it up to around just on less than nine, 8.8, and 94.95. And then 95.96 is last year with the team averaging 9.6 points and, 18, 8, 9.6 assists and 18.7 points. Rod Strickland, really good in those sort of middle 90s uh, bridging the gap years between uh, Terry Porter and, and Arvias Sabonis, Rasheed Wallace, the, the two glory stages. So I think he was the name that immediately, but immediately jumped out to me as the best pass first point, pass first point guard. He might have scored too much, but he's up there. The other names that come up when I think of the best pass first point guards in Blazer history are Lionel Hollins, depending on, um, what position you think he was. He was kind of a two, but he did play a little bit of one. Uh, Dave Twardzik. I think he has to be on there uh, as best pass, first point guard. And then, you know, I think Terry Porter scored too much. I think that's, I think he probably was too, too offensively gifted to be considered a pass, first point guard. So I think the lame, modern answer is like Steve Blake. Okay. Those are your best pass, first point guards in Blazers history. My heart said, Rod Strickland. So, are, but your other question, are you moderately concerned to be, are you right to be moderately concerned about the Blazers' three and three record? They are now three and four with a ter- pretty bad loss. I'm not going to say terrible, but a pretty pretty bad loss uh, since you sent this tweet. Um, yes, you're right to be concerned, and and it's not necessarily because of the record. Three and four, they could pretty easily be four and three if uh, Furkan Korkmaz doesn't uh, hit that three at the buzzer. Not particularly good defense, but that's like a forty forty percent shot, 60 percent chance. Roughly, he misses it. Uh, if that one rims out, Blazers are 4-3. They're, they're above 500 and, 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 uh, and maybe that sort of sticking point hasn't hit yet. But there's reason to be concerned because the Blazers' roster has real issues. Um, they haven't gotten consistent play from the wings from Kent Bazemore or Rodney Hood. Hood has looked really good against Philly and then had a really bad night after getting knee-to-knee contact. Um, he just didn't, he did never got loose for points. He just never got loose for his offense. Uh, Bazemore just hasn't found it on offense yet. He's done a lot of nice things as a hustle player, but just, he's just clanging mid-range jumpers every time you look. Mario Hazonia is just, you know, he had some, he ended up with a, you know, a nice stat line, but if you watch him play, he just, his, he just doesn't quite know what to do on offense yet. Um, he just, he just can't score in the half court. And obviously they have a huge hole at power forward. They just have some functional stuff that I think is really wrong with them. I've probably been, at least from what I've been paying attention to, one of the more negative media types in Blazerland. I was saying all summer long that Zach Collins was the most important player to this season. Uh, in my season preview pod, I called him the, I called him the sort of crux of this year was whether he was ready. And I wasn't even considering injuries. It's a big deal. They don't have a power forward who can play right now on the roster. They need to go get one. You should be concerned. Uh on a scale of one to five, five being extremely full on panic, one being, you know, sunglasses on Uh three point four. Alright, doctor Funk, here's your third question. Told you I'd get there. Doctor Funkenstein at Doc Funk on Twitter asks that Doc Funk says on Twitter, I don't want to get your handle wrong if you're asking me questions. But Dr. Funk asks, Will Nazir Little get some minutes at power forward given the Blazers' current shortage of big man depth? The short answer to that question is no. Terry Stotts is very reluctant to play young people. The long answer to that is no, I don't think so. Terry Stotts is pretty reluctant to play young people. I don't think the Blazers see Nazir Little as a 4 right now. He's probably long-term 3-4 type, but I think right now they see him as a 3 and a wing. You know, they've tried a lot of things at power forward. Rodney Hood, Tolliver, um, Mario Hazonia. We haven't seen two big men yet uh, with Scal and Hassan Whiteside. I don't think we will. Um, I think the Blazers are more likely to add more guards to the lineup, like Am- like Simons playing with Damon, C- Damon, CJ and Kent Bazemore playing super small ball power forward than we are to see Nazir Little. I do think Nazir Little will get a random cameo here in the next three weeks. It's been a pretty standard tradition for Terry Stotts to roll out uh, his rookies for, you know, four minutes or five minutes sometime in December and November just to give them a taste of NBA action. So I think we will get to see a Nazir Little cameo, and maybe because of the way the Blazers roster is, it will be technically power forward. But I don't think he's going to get a chance to be the solution. Next question comes from at Jared Cowley. Jared Jared Kelly at Jared Kelly on Twitter. Who asks, do you miss traveling with the team? Um, I some days I miss traveling with the team. It's um covering the NBA is a joy. I love basketball, thinking about it, talking about it, writing about it. Um it's it can be really fascinating to cover an NBA team and see the season and the, the actual humans that go through the NBA season and not just treat people like names in a box score. But the real thing about traveling with the um, traveling and covering an NBA team is that there's a lot of not glamorous stuff that happens. A lot of canceled flights, a lot of 12-hour days just sitting around in the Houston airport. Um, a lot of times when you thought you were going to get home from Sacramento and you don't. A lot of times when you thought you were going to leave Charlotte and you are still in Atlanta. Those types of just traveling mishaps that anyone who's ever been in a commercial airplane knows about. Um, it's a long season, it's a grind, uh, I think reporters complaining about that is mad corny, so I'm not complaining about that, I'm just saying that the further I get away from it, the less I miss it, because I know it is hard. But, uh, you know, if you want me to do it again, and you're listening to this podcast, holler at your boy, I'd love to. Next question comes from Zach Simonetti, who asks, off your own gut, what you've heard being around the team, do you think the team values Gary Trent Jr. as a prospect slash player more than some of their other second round picks who've had some success sitting the first couple of years and then playing, a la Jake Lehman, Alan Crabb, and Pat Connaughton? More than them? No. Uh, I think that they feel very similar about Gary Trent Jr. that they felt about those guys, that they could put him in their little Blazers player development incubator and after two seasons of uh growth and and uh nurturing that he will be a really useful mba contributor in year 3 uh it's funny early in the summer i had heard some whispering that gary trent was um the team wanted him to like work harder and then by the middle of the summer i heard that gary trent was the one of the hardest workers in the offseason so um something happened pre summer league and post summer league where they convinced him to bust his butt and he really decided to do it and they were really excited by the end of the summer at how hard he worked so yeah i don't know if they like him more or less i think they feel very similar about him they invest in guys like Gary Trent Jr to be contributors by the time they hit year 3 it's the allen crab plan they ha- they have him on the allen crab plan Last question before we get out of here comes from Guido who asks, what's your opinion of the coach's challenge? I personally don't like it but it has changed the outcome of at least one Blazer game. Yeah, I mean the Blazers straight up beat the Dallas Mavericks because because Terry Stotts challenged a call at the end of the game. I think the coach's challenge is bad because it slows the game down, adds more challenge, adds more timeouts, adds more stoppages. Um against the Philadelphia 76ers there was some confusion about the implementation of the challenge. The Blazers um, from my mind, were awarded a free timeout the way that Terry Stotts challenged it. He challenged a call. Um, he technically won the call, won the challenge, because they because they called the foul on Baysmore, but it was actually on Hazonia. And on the challenge, it ended up being on Hazonia. But they announced it over the stadium like it was incorrect challenge and the call stands, but technically Terry won. So they took away the timeout and they gave it back. It was incredibly confusing. Um That's not good. That's just not a good thing to happen in the final 90 seconds of a basketball game. Uh I wasn't listening to the broadcast. I'm sure they were confused or maybe just totally missed it. Either, either way, that's that's not good. It's not good to not know how many timeouts you have in a, in a one-possession game. Also, I just think more replays is bad. I think if you get the challenge right, not keeping the challenge is stupid. Um, they should just get rid of it. Ref's getting stuff wrong as part of the game. Those are my thoughts. Those are your questions. I think I got to every one that you submitted. If you want to hear your question on this podcast, you can submit it to me at Mike T. Rich on Twitter. I solicit the questions on Monday, but anytime you want to ask a question, just shoot it my way. I will save it in my little file and cue it up. We do these on Tuesday morning. It's Monday Mailbag for Tuesday's show every week. Appreciate you guys listening. Tell your friends about this podcast. Talk to you soon.